Okay, Andrew, take it away. Give us a little bit of information about what you're doing. Uh, nice. Um, Andrew Mapitone. I go by Andrew Map because it's shorter and it's easier and my last name's hard to spell. Um, so I am a digital marketing expert. I've been doing it for uh, just over 10 years now. Um, started off doing odd consulting jobs, things like that. Um, then I actually got into an agency that was for that was music based. Um, I used to help promote um, and market uh, tours that were coming in and venues when they had certain shows and things like that. Um, I ended up getting out of that and going into another agency up in New York City because um, I'm originally from Florida. And that agency was kind of a smaller boutique agency. We helped with a lot of startups and restaurants and all, like, tons of different types of companies, basically. Um, and then currently, right now, I am basically at an e-commerce hub. Um, so I work for a guy uh, named Chad Rubin. Um, he goes by e-commerce renegade is his like influencer brand that he's trying to do. Um, and essentially what happened was this guy created a company, um, from selling like vacuum filters and things like that, but he started selling online back when no one was selling online and scaled the business incredibly fast. So I was hired to come on and help start marketing this company. Um, while he was doing all this, he had a lot of fulfillment issues. Um, he was selling on Amazon and eBay, and, and he had his own shopping cart. Um, at the time, he was on Magento. Um, he had all these different places and couldn't track inventory, didn't know what was going on. Uh, so he created this software um, called Scubana, um, and, which basically solves that problem. And later on, uh, I came on and started helping marketing that. Um, we've done a bunch of other things now. So right now I'm handling about six or seven different brands in this one e-commerce hub, one of which is actually a digital agency for e-commerce. So there's actually six or seven brands plus the, the agency where I'm handling like three or four other brands on top of that right now too. Um, I just, I, I love marketing. I've been obsessed with it. Um, just the, uh, the ability to, um, how do I put this? The, basically, the ability to say something or show someone something or act in a certain way to manipulate them to get them to do what you want them to do is just amazing to me. Like, if I say a certain thing at a certain time, and then I show you this, and then I show you this, and I'm taking you down this path you don't even realize you're going on, and then you end up buying what I wanted you to buy. It's just amazing to me, so I've been obsessed with it for years. I've wanted to be in advertising and marketing since I was a little kid. I used to um, submit, uh, like, when big companies, I remember Heinz did one once, they would do, like, a submit your commercial and if you win, you know, kind of thing. Uh, I didn't win, but I used to always uh, submit mine. Um, but that's pretty much me on a professional level in a, in a nutshell, I guess. <laughs> did you study marketing also, or did you just get into it naturally? Um, <laughs> school was, uh, was an interesting thing for me. Uh, so I was in college for seven years, um, mainly because I took a semester off here and there, or I would take like not enough classes, and I ended up just getting whatever degree would get me out faster. Um, so I did take a handful of marketing classes. Um, I minored in entrepreneurship, um, but in reality, I would say like I, I took a couple classes that actually helped doing what I'm doing right now, but in my the rest of my degree is in like health and social science that I'll never use. Yeah. And did you have any other experience yeah. before university or after that, like in a 
either as a student job or uh, just, I don't know, selling uh, lemonade uh, or something where you would practice your marketing uh, nature? Yeah. Yeah, well, the entrepreneurship thing kind of runs in my family. My dad has sold multiple companies. Um, so when I was in uh, high school, late high school, so I was like a junior and senior in high school, I um, he owned a, a company that sold shocks for cars, basically. Um, and they were also an e-commerce company. And I actually started there basically by working in the warehouse, just doing normal day-to-day stuff. And then I would kind of slowly poke and prod at things I thought they were doing wrong. Uh, and so eventually I started to get some small jobs here and there. So basically I kind of started there. Uh, and then, you know, really small stuff. I have an aunt and an uncle who own a uh, veterinary clinic in Virginia. So I actually took a summer um, and went there to help them uh, with normal day-to-day stuff, but also with the marketing and, and with getting their new business up and running. Um, so I've had a lot of, there's a lot of entrepreneurs in my family that I've been able to utilize their business to kind of practice marketing and test my skills on them. So if I screw up, that's their problem. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, and then, uh, you know, my first job was actually, my first actual marketing job was actually at that music agency doing marketing for like bands and tours and things like that that were coming through. Was this based in the U.S. or also internationally? Uh, they were in the U.S. only, uh, well, for the most part. So we would actually um, market and, and promote shows that were coming through our region. Um, and I was, at the time, I lived in Central Florida in Orlando. Um, and what would happen would be if a tour was coming through, however many shows that our agency was handling, I would help market a majority of that, that tour. Um, however, if we had artists in Orlando, we would actually manage them. Um, and we had like a different sector, I guess you could say, that handled, man, handled managing artists. Sorry. And if we had them and they were like an international artist that would travel, we would help manage them. So kind of a little bit on an international level, but mostly in the U.S. Okay. And I think what's interesting is, do you see any overlap? Because you kind of worked in a few industries. Do you see any overlap or any major differences on how would you approach the marketing between all of those? Um, yeah. Uh, the Going kind of like an influencer route and trying to label someone as an expert in their in their industry, uh, which I'm currently doing with um, Chad Rubin, um, is almost the exact same thing as trying to get an artist to get their name out there and get them moving and getting some traction. The only difference is typically in business, an influencer doesn't really have too much to sell. Maybe they have a book or maybe they're going to be speaking at a conference or anything like that, when in reality, they're selling their business, so you just don't know it. Like Gary Vaynerchuk, you take him into account. He has VaynerMedia, and he wants everyone to know about VaynerMedia. But what he's doing is he's building up his own name so that people are get curious about him and start looking into him, in which case his name is always connected to it. So that's how he's bringing business to VaynerMedia. Artists, what I think they need to be doing is focusing slightly less on sales of their albums and music and focus more on just branding themselves. And then when your music comes along, then you ask the, the people to buy. It's really about just kind of building a community around you and about what you believe in. Um, I saw you, you transitioned nicely into the topic of personal branding. Uh, you yourself on Instagram are building up uh, already your personal brand a little bit. I saw your pretty entertaining stuff. Hashtag knowledge bombs. 
Yeah, yeah I enjoyed the last bombs. two. I've already had uh, kids from high school calling <laughs> me and making fun of me for those. <laughs> um, I enjoyed yeah, the last two. Because I watched the last two, I really enjoyed them. Yeah, about, about the Facebook ads and the one about the blogging as well, like documenting. There's always something to document. Oh, yeah. Oh, the one yeah, about well, LG was killer as well. Like, announcing a viral video <laughs> was a hilarious <laughs> oh, one. Oh, my God. When I heard that, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You can't announce a viral video. That's no. not how virality works. Like, that's just ridiculous. And I, I was so pissed, so I just said something. <laughs> Um, but no, so when I did the, uh, when I was at my, the last agency, the smaller one up in here in New York, I, I kind of dabbled with kind of going the influencer out and then I gave up on it. Um, but recently I decided to bring it back, um, basically because I realized that, you know, I, I really would love to do a book one day. Um, I think it'd be really cool to do a book. I think it'd be really cool to speak at different conferences and, and kind of like, you know, I, I just love. I love teaching because I actually learn a lot because sometimes I'll have to be like, Oh, I need to speak or I need to tell someone about, you know, this strategy. And I'll be like, all right, well, let me make sure I know what I'm talking about. And I'll study a little bit on it to, you know, freshen up. And then I'll realize like, Oh, I didn't think about this. Oh, I didn't do this. So I'm always learning by teaching. So I've always had a good, good time with that. Um, plus there's, you know, there's a lot of noise out there. Um, like I, I personally can't stand Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> so, Everyone, you know, I, the guy is very, very good at marketing. I will never knock that. His book, I just read, um, jab, 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 right hook is great. Um, but I can't stand his like motivational speaking. He's just obnoxious and loud and I, it's, it's not for everyone, I guess, but for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned teaching, are you teaching to students uh, or to other companies? No, right now, um, it's still kind of new. So right now I'm, I'm really just teaching to, you know, new hires and, and, and right now I'm, I'm kind of the head of, of marketing at, at where I'm at. So whenever we have someone come on, I kind of have to, you know, show, teach them away. And I, I personally prefer to have someone who has a little bit of experience, but not a lot because people with too much experience, they come in and they're like, Oh, you know, you have to do it like this. You have to, to do it like this like no you don't like you have to have i like a fresh pair of eyes mm -hmm. like my i have my wife here who is always helping me with stuff and mainly because she knows nothing about marketing and it's perfect because i want someone who doesn't know anything to get a fresh pair of eyes on it because if you're constantly staring at it you know you're going to think that it's perfect and that's it but if you get someone who doesn't even know what it is if they can't tell you what it is then you have a problem I think that's perfect. That's why a lot of companies actually need external eyes and advisors, actually. And uh, you have to convince sometimes people you're working with that uh, you need this uh, extra help. Oh, um, exactly. I always try to outsource, like, you know, at least a few things. So that, like, uh, like at our, um, where I'm at now, we outsource someone who handles Google AdWords for us. So they're in our websites and stuff all the time. So basically, they'll be like, hey, have you guys thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing that? And I'm like, no, I didn't. That's brilliant. I wish I had thought of that. And it's nice to just have someone who's not really a part of the team, but still kind of keeping their eye on everything. Um, it really kind of helps bring in like new ideas from people who are and, uh, experts. How, uh, great. And how do you manage that? Because I, I know from also from personal experience, if you get sometimes someone else to tell you what to do, and to change your ways, you know, it can be difficult to hear. How do you manage that or how have you learned over the years to accept external feedback and actually adjust uh, and uh, change? Um, you know, it's, it's, it really has to do with 
what you believe in, but also what you know you may not know enough about. Like if I outsourced AdWords, I know AdWords inside and out, but I wasn't comfortable running the amount of campaigns that we had, so I wanted to outsource it. And every time he would tell me, hey, I want to do this, I want to do that, and this is why I want to do it, and I would kind of be like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that, but I hired him because I believe in him and I know that he knows what he's doing, so I want him to be able to have free reign. Because if if you have like a, a boss who's telling you all the time, like, you know, don't do this, don't do that, uh, we don't want to do this, you're just going to give up and be like, why should I even care? Like, you have to have some kind of freedom to try what you want to try. And if, you know, it doesn't work, it's all, it's marketing, it's testing, it's constant testing. So it's just a matter of, hey, that didn't work. All right, let's roll it back. Let's try something else. How frequently do you decide to change things? Do you leave it a couple of, uh, like uh, weeks or months uh, before you switch direction or you go for quick iterations? Um, you know, that's all kind of dependent on what I'm doing. Um, I know like recently, uh, we, I, I do a lot with e-commerce. So recently I've, I've been doing a lot of Amazon sponsored ads. Mm. Um, and typically, uh, and our digital agency, we also take on new clients with that too. And typically what I'll do is I will, you know, I'll kind of, when I first start off a new campaign, I will check it like once a week. Um, but I actually like to let it sit and get enough data. So I'll do two weeks sometimes for our bigger campaigns. I'll even do a month. Um, so that way I have plenty of data where it's very obvious, like, hey, this is not working or this is working. Like the more data you have to make a sound decision on what you want to change and what's working and what's not, the better. Which channels and platforms are you currently like leveraging the most? Which ones do you see the most value out of? Um, for e-commerce? Yeah, in general, like marketing-wise, 2017, let's say, for example. Um, well, e-commerce, I, I, we have a Shopify account now. We had Magento, and we switched over to Shopify. I would, I would never go back. I hate Magento. <laughs> um, Amazon is becoming a beast of its own. Soon it's just going to be, if you want information, go to Google, and if you want any product, go to Amazon, and that's going to be it. Um, so that's a big e-commerce channel. Um, in marketing, I mean, right now I couldn't live without Hootsuite just because when you're handling so many different brands and you have so much going on, you have to schedule out social media and things like that. So it, it's kind of, it's nice, it's a nice platform to really kind of keep everything going. Um, there's a handful of like Google extensions that I can't live without. Like I sometimes, you know, you'll be writing up a social post or you'll be writing up a blog. Um, and I am not the world's best typer. So I have Grammarly that just automatically tells me like, Hey, you spelled this wrong or anything like that. So that kind of helps with me. Right. Um, especially when you're doing content all the time, if you have a ton of misspellings, it's a nightmare and people will call you out on it every time. <laughs> um, and then Facebook ads, you know, Facebook uh, business, Facebook business, I've been on that thing. I'll, I'll probably be on that thing for a few hours a day, um, whether I'm handling insights on our pages or, or running ads or anything along like that. So especially now that it's basically connected to Instagram, it's, it's become a hub of just all of my social media ads. How many brands are you managing at the same time? Uh, six right now. And then one is an agency. So I have five clients under them uh, and then my own. And what portion of your day you spend on uh, 
like really doing the social, the like interacting and uh, managing all the content on these pages? Um, <laughs> an interesting question. Um, I uh, that's tough. I mean, so I try. I really my I would not be able to handle all these if I wasn't like neurotically organized. Um, so I kind of spread mine out. So typically I will handle uh, a brand for a, or a couple different brands for a full week and preset things and get everything prepped for two weeks out. And then the next week I'll do the next handful of brands so that I'm two weeks out. So I'm basically rotating every other week. Um, it's kind of how I have everything set up. Um, but you know, things come up, uh, websites go down, you know, things happen and then all of a sudden you have to just stop what you're doing and go to other stuff. So, you know, there's, Tough question, just depending on the situation. Right, and how further ahead do you schedule content? Uh, well, social, I only do like two weeks. Um, I've heard like really bad horror stories of like uh, you know someone who like pre-schedule tweets or something, and then like some you know national disaster or something will happen, mm -hmm. and then their pre-scheduled tweet will go out, and it's really insensitive to what was just what just happened, kind of thing. Yeah. And so I, I try not to schedule too far out, so I, I, I don't touch that. Um, but with content, like we have for our apps, pretty much scheduled middle of October right now, I think. We, we have stuff ready to just send out. Um, things will be more urgent. Or there'll be something that's a little more timely, um, like if Amazon releases something new, or if there's a new software that's out that we think a lot of e-commerce people should be using, or anything like that. We'll push that and just shove it out on any day, because um, right now we're scheduling two to three blog posts a week, um, and we're probably going to have to push it some more because we're getting so backlogged with stuff all the way into October and November. So how do you go about like the quality versus quantity? Do you try to put as much stuff as out as possible, or do you kind of try to curate no, it and touch it up a bit? We're we're actually really big on quality. I I would sit on on five blog posts for a year if they're really good. Um, then have all the ones that we do. The only reason we have so many backlogged is because the way SEO is going right now, um, Google doesn't really care anymore about you know, your meta title or your meta description or anything like that. What they really care about is they just want clarification, you know, good content. And the way that they do that is by knowing that there's many other websites that are linking to you. Mm -hmm. So we do a ton of work with working with other softwares or other service companies that are in the e-commerce industry and things like that. And we do a blog post on their blog and they do one on ours. So that they get a backlink, we get a backlink, and we have a huge partnership program. So we just that's a majority of those blog posts are actually written by other companies that are gonna be posting on our own blog. And they still go through a vetting process. They have a content manager who helps me out with that, who basically reads them all and makes sure that they're actually worth going up. Um, because if you just start throwing stuff up that like no one cares about or it's just obvious that you were just trying to get something up that day, you'll lose viewership like really quick. How do you feel about the automation um, and just repurposing content or uh, just using the same content across all channels and posting only in one place and it's spreading to, let's say, posting on Instagram and sharing it on Twitter and Facebook at the same time? You know, 
that's interesting because I've actually had this conversation pretty recently. I was a big fan of not sharing across multiple platforms, um, mainly because if I share something on Instagram and you guys are following me, that I shared the exact same thing on the same day on Facebook, you have no reason to follow me on different platforms. Or why not just stay on Facebook or stay on Twitter? You're going to get the same information across the board. If I give you different stuff everywhere and I handle things differently everywhere so that every time you're on that platform, I'm going to have you interested and, and I'm going to have you looking at my brand at all, all times. So I'm a big fan of not doing that. Uh, however, sometimes there's big things. You know, sometimes there's like, you know, or we, you know, for the software, if we have a new feature or for the e-commerce company, we have a new product or whatever we're doing. Um, that'll pretty much go across the board. I'm a big fan of trying to stay away from posting the same stuff everywhere. And in terms of the types of content that you're posting, uh, what's the type of media that works best for you? Video, audio, text? Uh, video is just killing it right now. Um, honestly, like images were, were doing great for a while there and they just, they lost. Um, and then the thing is now is that video uh, live streaming is definitely taking mm -hmm. over. Um, there's so many things, especially on Facebook that you can do with live streaming. Um, there's ways now uh, where you can advertise to have viewed your live stream up to X amount of time that you want. So if someone viewed your live stream for more than 30% of the live stream, which means that they were pretty engaged, I can run an ad directly at them now. Really starting to utilize the live stream thing. And you can kind of do the exact same stuff with video. So video is just killing it. Um, and I was, I was just talking to my wife about this the other day, actually, is that videos do really well, but you actually have to have those little captions down at the bottom mm. um, because most people are actually watching these videos when they shouldn't be. So they're at work or if they're on like public transit and they don't want their phone to be too loud and they don't have headphones or anything like that. So as long as you have that scrolling words at the bottom, they'll read along and understand what's going on with their video. I've had I've watched my my wife is a perfect example because she's just a knows nothing about marketing. So if it works on her, it'll work on anyone kind of thing. And I've literally watched her at home just reading videos. I'm like, you can mm. turn the sound off. She's like, no, it's fine. Do you have so any nice videos, tool? videos are killing it right now as long as you have those captions going. Is there any nice tool that kind of adds those captions? So uh, Facebook, if you upload a video to Facebook, there's a three different options. There's one where it's Facebook will automatically do it for you. There's another one where Facebook will automatically do it for you, but um, they actually will have someone review it for you and post it within 24 hours. Um, and then the other one is you can upload it yourself. So if you do it through Facebook, there's three different options. Um, I uploading it yourself is kind of a pain. I don't really, I haven't figured out how to do it. So typically I'll just let it sit for 24 hours and I'll let Facebook do the work for me. Um, but on Instagram, which I've actually I've posted a couple of videos, and I'm trying to do more. I'm just not a video guy. I don't like staring at my camera. It's just weird to me. Um, so, but there is a uh, iPhone um, app that came out. It's called Clips, and it's absolutely amazing. I've I've played with it. I've posted a couple of videos on my Instagram with it, and it's it's just square videos. So it really only works for Instagram and social. Uh, it wouldn't look that great on YouTube unless you did some more editing to it. 
but basically like you can just, you know, click and hold like you would kind of on Instagram. And as you're talking, it will actually do the captions mm -hmm. for you. And then it's not, obviously it's not perfect. So you actually have the option to go in and edit anything. So at least it tried. Um, obviously it has filters and some of the fun stuff that you can play with. You can show pictures and all stuff like that. You can add music to the background. So it's kind of like your own little really quick, basic, like great social media videos. Nice. Is there any uh, maybe future trends that you're currently on the lookout for? For example, audio I know has been quite of, uh, I mean, might come up big. Yeah, um, I know everything's trending toward live stream right now for a majority of stuff. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to really kind of start to figure out a way to use that the best um, because I have a feeling it's it's going to end up being big, which would then tell me that somehow VR will be next. Um, I don't know how. I don't know. I know nothing about VR. I've actually never even tried one of those things on. But I, I've read a lot that VR will probably be next. Um, but I do see audio actually trending a little bit, um, mainly in the B2B side. Um, even for me, like I recently started taking on like listening to more and more podcasts. And now I'm like obsessed with it. It's like all I listen to. Um, so I do see, uh, you know, people on the B2B side having an option to speak to kind of an make themselves an influencer or to be able to speak to other businesses that are interested and then obviously would be potentially interested in their services or anything like that. But I do see audio really starting to, at least podcasts, really starting to take a What's little bit of a bigger turn. What are some of your favorite programs to listen to? Um, my absolute favorite one is, um, oh man, I just drew a blank. Uh, this old marketing. Um, so it basically, it's, Joe Polizzi and, oh man, I can't remember his name. Um, I'd have to look it up. Uh, but basically, it's an hour long, so it's a little longer than most podcasts. Um, and it's basically like, they sit there and they just BS for the first like 15 minutes. And then they actually kind of get into whatever topic. But then they do like a rant or a rave where basically they'll discuss something that's really, that they're a big fan of right now or something that they can't stand. And then they usually close each episode with, their own segment they call this old marketing and it's basically a really really old like marketing tactic from like the 1900s mm -hmm. so like they did the, i read i listened to one they did a couple episodes ago and it was like a, on the guy who invented the fire hose and they had his marketing strategy and how he did it and like that's an old product for us <laughs> now so like that was really it was really cool here it's like 1903 or something like that i can't remember what it was um, and then marketing school with Neer, Neil Patel and Nick Sue, like Neil Patel is obviously a big guy. And then, uh, marketing secrets with Russell Brunson, who's, I have a love hate relationship with that guy. Sometimes I love listening to him and other times I can't stand listening to him. <laughs> so he's up in the air, but he, he's, again, he's really good. Um, so those are kind of like top three. I have a few others that I listen to also like duct tape marketing and there's a few others. I actually just did a blog post on it like a week ago. Um, but um, that uh, those are pretty much like my top ones right now. Like when they come on, I'm actually I'm like, oh good, I want to hear what this guy has to say, kind of thing. And besides marketing, do you listen to any other topics when it comes to podcasts, or is it just pure marketing? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically. Focus. I know. So you know, I really want to like really hone in on on marketing, mainly because I do one day want to eventually kind of go the entrepreneurial route and have my own thing, but it's really far down the line. 
if I did it myself, I would end up doing a marketing agency and it's just such a cluttered space. There's a marketing agency for everything now. So I'm kind of like, I don't even know if I want to do that. Um, so I'm kind of hoping one day someone will knock on my door and be like, Hey, I have this awesome product. And be like, I'm in. <laughs> um, but, uh, otherwise, like I really just focus on marketing mainly because once I do want to get to that point where I start something on my own, every good entrepreneur is a good marketer. You have to be, you have to be able to market yourself to sell to investors or you have to be able to sell your product to prove that it can sell, to be able to get funding or to be able to do anything. Um, so in reality, I, I always see that the best entrepreneurs are all marketers. So why not focus on it now while I still can? Um, so that's pretty much all I do is marketing. Um, with some of the, the, the coming back to the podcast, um, um, you said they're discussing these old marketing strategies. Do you, have you heard some that are really applicable in the 2017, like 21st century context? Oh, yeah. Well, um, they did one. I can't remember if which car company it was. It was a car. Uh, I want to say it was like Land Rover or something like that. But there, maybe it was Lexus. I don't know. But that basically they, years ago, years and years and years ago, so like in the early like 1920s, 1930s or something, they used to have their own magazine where they would basically create content for their customers and potential customers. And it, was, it wasn't like, a, oh, this is why you should buy our car or like a pamphlet. It was literally articles and information and cool places to travel that you could get to in a car, but it was stuff like that. So it was a very obvious you know, content marketing strategy, which today everyone talks about content marketing is it. Like you have to be content marketing. You have to have a blog. You have to be constantly putting out new content for everyone to enjoy and blah, blah, blah. And everyone acts like, you know, this is a new concept when it's not. It's been around for years upon years, like since marketing was around. Mm -hmm. um, so everyone was always used to, you know, these just right hook, um, Gary, sorry, these just like <laughs> these strong sales approaches, um, these strong sales approaches where basically, you know, they're just like, hey, buy our product, buy this, buy that. And everyone was so used to it for years because of TV and then pop-ups that like back when like you had AOL or anything like that, like it was just a nightmare. But now it's a lot more subtle. It's more about building community and telling your story. Not, no one really cares what your product is anymore. They want to know mm. what problem you're solving and how it's going to help. Otherwise, I, don't, I have no need for your product or service. Makes sense. Awesome. More? I don't think I have any other questions. Well, yeah. um, I, I don't. I don't know how are you with the time. Um, we don't all right. press you. I'm alright, but if hey, we can wrap it up. Um, it's I don't know. It's your show. No, you guys, but if you have any uh, any questions for us, we'd also love to to answer anything. Yeah, tell. So the, you know, this is your your show. So obviously, people are gonna watch it. Tell me about what you guys are doing here. Like, I so you're documenting your journey into creating a performance dress t-shirt yeah right so dress how do you get the idea yeah. what are you going to do go <laughs> come on shall we go so we're making this dress shirt that's for men and for uh, women um because basically both of us like to look good um uh, we like to wear the nice dress shirt uh, but we hate everything else that's related to taking care of it that's the ironing the washing up the uncomfortable feeling when you're really sweaty, and uh, we mentioned earlier we live in Amsterdam, so we're on the bike often. The wet here. spots, yeah. Wet you're spot. often like really, yeah, well, even a little bit uh, sweaty. So we kind of scratched our own itch, 
uh, and uh, we're pretty familiar with the performance of uh, synthetic fabrics from all the all its applications in sports clothing and it kind of makes a perfect sense uh, to ask the question why don't we combine this fabric with this product that we like so much and see if we can make something that doesn't require uh, to be part on our to-do list uh, you know I don't want to have uh, take care of uh, ironing uh, washing up on my to-do list I want to be have to have the time actually and the convenience to go and do the things that I need to do um, and whether it's building this business or uh, working on a hard programming uh, problem uh, for work, you know, I prefer to dedicate this time on that. Um, and that's why how the idea was born. And um, we started really just trying to find as much uh, as possible of the resources that were out there available already. So we didn't really want to reinvent the wheel. Um, I think uh, that's what we did with uh, the manufacturing partner. So we're using someone who has the experience in making shirts and has the experience working with synthetic fabrics um, and uh, we're doing the similar thing with building our web shop which we're about to launch in uh, September we're using technology like Shopify that already exists out there and um, we're pretty clear on uh, it's pre pretty clear to us that we're going to use also probably external help for Facebook ads uh, <laughs> photo shoots you know a lot of these things that uh, we can do a fair job but it's much different when an expert actually uh, comes in and says just don't do that don't do that do this 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 um, yeah we prefer to leverage as much as much as possible for this um, out there yeah yeah we're just basically scratching our own itch but we originally from Bulgaria um, so we knew there's a lot of traditions in in tailoring and manufacturing of clothes uh, so we kind of saw that opportunity to to use that because um, the quality is really high and the price is good uh, so we had that advantage, and then we just decided to apply that advantage to making the product. Um, yeah, we've been prototyping it for the past six or seven months. We have one batch, so also basically all the pictures you see of the shirt is from the first sample batch. Um, ah. There's a second one coming, and we have some material, some fabric left over for the third one. And then ideally, if we're happy with all those, um, we hit market by September. I have a question for you related to that, uh, actually. Uh, is um, we were thinking in the beginning about doing a Kickstarter as well, and some friends of ours also were saying, yeah, this is like a perfect product for Kickstarter. However, we're in a situation where we're able to self-fund ourselves, at least for a first uh, production batch, which is not going to be that huge. Also, yeah. like running e-commerce on uh, Shopify is not really that expensive. But I wonder what's your ex if you had experience with, since you're in the e-commerce world, with like up-and-coming brands uh, who are... Uh, launching on Kickstarter and what would be a better, um, if you can self-fund, what would be a best strategy? Would you still use Kickstarter or would you just go directly uh, to market? Um, so there's a big benefit to Kickstarter um, where I've seen a lot where people utilize it even if they don't need it um, mm. because if you get enough traction, you'll be like front page of Kickstarter, which gets a lot of traffic. Or, you know, even if you're close and, and can start to gain traffic from Kickstarter's own community. Um, but basically, um, I actually just read up on this strategy this guy had taken. Uh, Yeti coolers, right? Um, yeah. Big, expensive coolers. They had a competitor. And basically what this competitor, this guy was working for the competitor, and basically what he did was he ran one Facebook ad as a video, and all it said was, the cooler Yeti doesn't want you to know about. <laughs> and so people would watch the video. Whoever watched the video, for 
uh, or more time, which means that they were a little engaged, he ran another ad to them that actually got them to sign up via email to just get the announcement when it was available and any cool features they were adding, like nothing crazy, no, no, not asking you to buy one, nothing like that. Then everyone who actually signed up for that email, once they did launch that Kickstarter, that's who they ran their ads to, people mm -hmm. who already were interested in the product. So they didn't have to cast a wide net and try and figure it out later on. The other thing he did was he actually utilized Facebook groups. Um, I don't know how, he didn't really get into how he built the group, but he, he basically used a group because with a group you get a lot more engagement, people get notifications when you post in there. It's a lot easier to get in front of them because there's no algorithm for a group. Mm. Um, so you don't have to utilize a Facebook page when you can't reach anyone with anymore. So he used a group and basically he would talk to people to be like, hey, you know, we're thinking about adding this to it. What do you guys think? Would that be something people would want? He basically used his marketing research. But then once they're like, all right, we're going to do this Kickstarter, they slowly started to build hype behind it. Like, hey, it's done. We're so excited and blah, blah, And they would push it through the group. Then once the Kickstarter came out, everyone was so excited. There were people who were upset because there was only like a handful of a certain type of cooler that they were making and everyone wanted it and they couldn't get, I think it was like pink or something. And so everyone like lost their mind over it. They were actually trying to reach a certain goal to fund, I think, but you can do the same approach and just ask for like little money. Ask for like something that'd be like, hey, it'd be really nice to have this, but if we don't, we're still fine. And then that way you have customers, you have basically brand ambassadors who are just excited about your product and something new coming out who are here to help you. And they'll be the ones who will help you get the traffic. The, the key to a ki good Kickstarter campaign is don't put up a Kickstarter campaign overnight and just be like, all right, let's see what happens. Mm. It's never going to happen. You have to have a community built behind you already who's excited for you to finally release it. So like for you guys, I would launch your Kickstarter campaign in, if you, let's say you uh, ship out, finally fulfill orders late September. I would start your Kickstarter campaign in mid-August so that that way you have 30 days and the second it's done, you can fulfill the orders and get them out. You already have them ready anyway. Um, I maybe wouldn't make it clear that, hey, we don't need your money, but <laughs> I would basically like build the community behind it, get a little extra out of it, and it can't help yeah. or it can't hurt. Oh, that's incredible. Good uh, to go a little bit more in detail on the tactics, you mentioned that uh, the guys, they targeted people who watched 30% or more of the video. Uh, can you target that in Facebook ads? So select an audience that watched certain percentage? Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, you can actually do it in, in Facebook audiences now where you can actually do, um, you can target people who have engaged with your page at all. So if they've liked a post or if they've commented or anything like that, <coughs> excuse me. But if you put out a bunch of videos and you have people watching them, you can actually target people who have viewed that video. And you can actually set parameters now where oh. you can say if they've actually watched X amount of the video, which I think it's percentages, I think it's like 5, 10, 15, 30, 50, and then like 80, I think. I'd have to relook at it. But you can basically set parameters to how much they were engaged. So if they watched 30% or more of the video, there's a good chance they were pretty engaged in it. So you can run another ad to them. But the key is don't run an ad immediately selling to them. You mm -hmm. want to give them something free. 
So like B2B, what we'll do is we'll send out like, oh, free ebook or sign up for a webinar or anything like that. Anything to get their email and get their information and still just keep the brand fun and in front of them like, hey, we're just giving you stuff. It's nothing. Don't worry about it kind of thing. And then later on down the line is when you finally try and sell them. So you can actually take them down this like Facebook ad funnel so you can finally get to a point where you want to sell them instead of just these companies who just, hey, here's our new product. I'm going to run an ad for it. Everyone should check it out. Like, no, I don't even know who you are. Why would I do that? That's incredible. Jab, 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 right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do you have any favorite resources uh, where you get a lot of these insights, uh, campaign ideas? Um, a lot of podcasts. I'll actually sit there and work. Like I, I, you know, once I start to get into like a project or something that we're doing, I will just zone out. So I like to have a podcast. And basically, what I'll do is while I'm working or doing whatever, they'll say something that will spark my interest, and I'll just open up a new tab and Google it real quick, and then I'll just leave it there. Mm. And then when I finish doing whatever I'm doing, I'll come back to it and I'll add it. Like I use Trello and all that stuff for um, tracking projects and stuff. Um, and then. Lately, I've been trying to read a lot more. Like, I just read Gary's book. I did. Uh, I read The Conversion Code. Um, I read Contagious, which was really cool. Um, Contagious was more about, like, the stuff that really interests me, like why people click where and what they were thinking mm -hmm. and how certain colors, like, make people feel certain ways and things like that. Um, but a lot of, you know, some people just spark my interest. Like, oh, that's a good idea. I should do this. Or, oh, I should do this. Um, and so I'll just write it down, and I'll look into it later. Um, but I'll, I'll, if not, a lot of testing, like test, test, like I test everything. Like if you can, if you can change it, I want to test it. Right. See which one works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool stuff. Really like your hat. You seem to be an NFL fan. What's your team? I'm a Steelers fan. Okay. Uh, Pittsburgh, right? No. Yep. Uh, no, no, I've been to Pittsburgh once. I <laughs> like high school. I just picked a team out of nowhere. <laughs> Uh, and <laughs> stuck with them. <laughs> so I've been a Steelers fan for a long time now. <laughs> Justin, we have one more random. We do a random question, kind of, but it's related to kind of what we spoke about. So shoot the okay. random question at you, which is, according to your experience, what's the most common thing companies are failing to do when it comes to marketing? Uh, the most common thing. All right, so. Depending on the size of the company, I would say not a lot of people are utilizing social media correctly. A lot of people I see are posting like, hey, here's our new shirt, here's our new this, here's this, you should buy this, blah, blah, And it's just, that's not what social media is for at all. Um, we, at my last agency, we used to do restaurants and stuff, and like we would post pictures of food, and all of these clients would be like, hey, all right, so here's a picture of this new special we have. Um, this is how much it costs and this is what's in it and this is the special during happy hours like oh i don't i don't care i'm not going to tell them that and they'd be like well how are they going to know how much it costs how how are they going to know when to get it like they'll figure it out relax like <laughs> like calm down so there's a lot of like really people out there that are just trying to sell left and right and it's just horrible um and you know that's just not what social media is for uh the companies out there who think that they shouldn't be blogging i have not met a company yet that shouldn't have a blog or something that they're constantly bringing out new content. Um, like people would think you guys, you're doing uh, an apparel company. Oh, you know, what are we going to blog about? I know how social media work. We'll do pictures of like the lifestyle and things like that. Be like, but you could be, obviously you're blogging now and doing stuff like that. But 
you could be blogging about just anything that someone could do while they're wearing your shirt, that, which arguably is anything. <laughs> but yeah. if you have a certain demographic, you know who you're going after, you need to be blogging about just that. There's no right hooks, nothing, no, you know, we're all sitting here quoting Gary Vaynerchuk. <laughs> And you don't like the guy. I think you're gonna like him by the end of, the, of our chat. I, I, I said I don't like him, but he can market. I yeah, I yeah. like Gary Vaynerchuk the marketer. I hate Gary Vaynerchuk the motivational speaker. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the other thing. Oh, emails. Emails are still hands down the most important KPI. I post that stuff all the time. Like that is what you need. The more emails you have, the better. They just have the best ROI. It's all these email softwares are so inexpensive compared to running thousands of dollars of ads all the time. And if you have their email, you can contact them whenever you want. I mean, you shouldn't, but you can. Like you have this opportunity to put them through like any kind of funnel you want. You can do workflows, they visit your website, they get this email or if they buy or if they abandon your cart or anything like that. Like you can emails, like the amount of workflows and different things I have happen depending on what a customer does for emails is amazing, like pages of just different statuses of how they get into certain areas. Mm. And I think email is definitely still one of those things that people aren't utilizing correctly or not utilizing enough. Something we have to fix uh, for ourselves as yeah. well. Yeah, because we still haven't started doing that and we're going to do that pretty quickly. Uh, start now. Yeah. yeah. Start now. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Shall we wrap it? Perhaps uh, you can uh, give people a little bit more uh, where they can find more about you. Yeah, uh, andrewmap.com. Um, I'm on social. Everything is Andrew Map. Uh, no one had my name, so I lucked out. I took all that stuff. Um, I uh, I really like just kind of answering questions. So, like, if anyone wants to tweet at me or Instagram message me or email me or anything, like, I'll answer. I don't care. I'm not. It's fine. I like doing it. So, cool, man. We'll leave those up in the edit on the screen and again thanks for your time stay in touch yeah maybe we can do a part yeah. part two sometime in the future yeah guys appreciate it i'll be around you Perfect. hit me up on instagram you have my email i'll, I'll hear from you again i'm yeah, sure we have your email <laughs> now man that was the whole idea behind the show yeah <laughs> that's lead generation I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> next level stuff yeah <laughs> cool man have a great week uh and talk to you soon really yeah, enjoyed you it guys have a good one thanks man bye-bye